Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrew. We have been uh, working our way through the Gospel of Mark, the shortest of the four Gospels that begin the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And really the uh, most direct and vivid of the Gospels, because Mark is based on the memories of Peter, an illiterate fisherman, wasn't a, a great writer, wasn't a scholar, almost certainly was illiterate, and so he doesn't try to interpret. He just records what he saw. I saw Jesus do this, and then he did this, and then this happened, and then this. So it's very direct, unadorned. It's a great eyewitness account. And we've seen Peter record the development of Jesus' ministry, beginning with his baptism. He's baptized. He's tempted. He begins to teach with extraordinary authority that amazes people, confronts people. He starts talking about the kingdom of God with a series of parables, short, pithy stories that fill the imagination as you unpack them in your mind and show you what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a seed planted by a sower. It's like a lamp. And recently, the last several Sundays, we've seen Jesus in uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6 talk about himself. Not just talk about himself, but demonstrate who he is, that he is the king of this new kingdom. He has power over the storm, over water and air. Not power that confronts, but the power behind the storm. When he says, be quiet, the storm is switched off. We see him take the disciples across the Sea of Galilee to the Gentile shore, the non-Jewish shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he shows that he has authority even there. He's not just king of the Jews. He is king beyond Israel. He is king of the world. We've seen him demonstrate his authority over spirits, driving the spirits out of the possessed man. We've seen him demonstrate power over illness and in death. Last week we saw him uh, bring back to life the daughter, the dead daughter, of a religious leader in Capernaum. And now, Jesus takes his disciples to a new place. And you see, verse 1, Jesus left there Capernaum, which is in the north of Israel, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He takes them about 25 miles up into the hills around Galilee to Nazareth, to his hometown. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. The thing to bear in mind as you read this is this isn't just happenstance. This isn't just a series of random events as if Jesus was just wandering around the world encountering different situations. 
Jesus led his disciples onto the Sea of Galilee to calm the storm. He led them to the land of the Gentiles to show his authority there. He led them back to Capernaum for the, the healing and the um, resurrection of the dead daughter of the religious leader. And now he goes to his hometown. This is deliberate. There is a reason that he is doing these things. And so as we read the Bible, we should be asking the question, why is Jesus doing this? What is he trying to teach here? What is the point and the purpose of this encounter, of this story? When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. It was the habit back in those times that if um, an important teacher or leader was traveling through your neighborhood, you would ask them to teach at the synagogue to, to hear what the latest teaching is, what the latest thing is that people are thinking about in the country. And so the fact that Jesus is invited by the synagogue means that he is known. It shows at least an initial goodwill towards him, or at least an interest in finding out how does this local boy become so significant because he was a prodigy. He had become something of a sensation in Israel. Huge crowds came to see him and listen to him and to follow him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? They're amazed. This was no longer the Jesus they remember. Jesus is now filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus now has a following. He has recruited a team of disciples. Jesus has been demonstrating his authority and power in front of crowds. He's become a public figure, a notorious figure. He's no small-town carpenter anymore. And notice, all the questions are not, what is he talking about? They're not trying to understand what he's saying. They want to know, where does this come from? What is he teaching? What is the source of his teaching? What are his credentials? Where did this come from? And it upsets them. Verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Notice, isn't this the carpenter? He's a working man. He was a working man, not a priest, not a teacher of the law, not a Pharisee. He is the carpenter. Now, it's striking that he is remembered as the carpenter and as the son of Mary. There's no mention of Joseph, his human father. So almost certainly, Joseph has died by this point. Jesus, as his eldest son, would have inherited his business, his reputation, his role in that village, and he would have taken on Joseph's role as the carpenter of this small town. So he would have been a substantial figure. And they remember him as that person, the carpenter. That was his role. They understood him. They remember him. They knew him well. 
He was one of them when he was a carpenter. But now he's become something different. And they cannot connect the man, the carpenter that they knew, with this new figure, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom and obvious power. He's not one of them anymore. He's been revealed as something else entirely. They don't understand him, and they don't like him. This is something new, disturbing the peace of this small little rural town. And they took offense at him. The word here, by the way, is the Greek word scandalon, from which we get our English word scandalous or scandalize. It's not just they're offended by him. They were scandalized by him. They reject completely what he is saying to them. They don't understand it, they don't want to hear it, and they will reject it. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and his own home. Jesus is not quoting the Bible here. This seems to have been a proverbial expression of the time, similar to our expression, familiarity breeds contempt. So what is he saying? Well, it was the habit of Israel to reject God's prophets. If you read the Old Testament, God constantly challenged Israel by sending prophets to teach them his ways, and they would reject them and even threaten to kill them. So certainly this is the habit of Israel. And we will see in a couple of Sundays the prophet that God sends to prepare the way for Jesus, John the Baptist, is about to be beheaded. He's about to be killed. And so Jesus is foreshadowing here what's going to happen to John the Baptist. And almost certainly, there is a first glimpse here. Remember, he brings his disciples. This is the first glimpse of what is going to happen to Jesus. Israel is going to reject him the people that he was sent to save, are not only going to reject him, but they're going to hurt him. They're going to kill him. He's going to end up on a cross. And this right here in this chapter is the first glimpse we get that that's where the gospel is headed. It's headed to the cross. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I don't know what you think when you read those verses. They upset me when I first read those. You know, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God, the King. We've seen him demonstrate all power, and yet he can't do any miracles here. He seems to be curtailed. He seems to be squelched. What does this verse reveal about Jesus? This is not all-powerful Jesus, creator of heaven and earth. This is Jesus limited by the lack of human faith. Christians in general don't like this verse. The commentators on this kind of skip over it or try to talk about, oh, the human Jesus versus the cosmic Jesus. Um, I don't like it either. It's like that, uh, what's the story where if you say you don't believe in fairies, they die? 
Which one? Peter Pan? Is Jesus a Peter Pan figure? Does God need our worship in order to exist? Does he only have power if we believe in him? If we give, if we have faith in him? If we worship him? We know that can be true. The Bible begins with God creating heaven and earth before any of us existed. God created heaven and earth. So should we just skip this over as sort of a weird verse in the Bible? Or should we try to understand it? And by the way, I should, I should tell you, my experience is when you come across a phrase in the Bible like this that you don't understand, that doesn't make sense, it always, so far at least in my life, it's always been worth pursuing. It always reveals something new that I didn't know. So what does this reveal? Well, notice this story is all about faith or the lack of faith. Remember what we saw last week when the woman who suffered from bleeding was healed because she desperately reached out to Jesus in a crowd and touched his cloak. And that small, desperate act of faith was enough to heal her. Enough for that to be a miracle. Faith and miracles and power are linked here. Jesus is showing us something about the nature of faith. So what is faith? We talk about it, Christians talk about it all the time, but what is it? Well, faith is not something that just floats around, that we sort of conjure up. Faith is always a direction. It always is faith in somebody or in something. If you're in a mountain and you're falling and you reach out to grab a rope, how much faith do you need to do that? You just need to be desperate. What is that issue? Your faith in the rope? or the faithfulness of the rope to be strong enough to do its purpose and hold your weight. The issue is the faithfulness of the rope. You reach out, it's strong enough to hold you, and you are saved. Faith is faith in something. Something to do what you need. When the woman who had been suffering for 12 years She'd been to every doctor. She'd spent all her money. Her last hope was Jesus. And it was a desperate faith. Remember, she wouldn't even look him in the face. She struggled to touch his cloak in a crowd. But that was enough. Because the person, Jesus, who she reached out for, was faithful. He had the power to heal. He rewarded her faith in him. That was the connection. Faith is a relationship, is a connection built on trust and increasing confidence and reliability, no matter how small it was at the beginning. If you have enough faith in a rope, you'll be able to climb mountains. If you have enough faith in an airplane's wings to hold you in the air, you'll be able to fly. What happens when you put your faith in God, in Jesus? It is a connection. It is a relationship. It is based on the reliability, the trustworthiness, the faithfulness of Jesus. And that's what grows a relationship. The Bible gives the example of marriage. 
Marriage is given of an example of our relationship with God. And what does the Bible have to say? How does a relationship begin? You know, the opposite sex is weird and alien. How do you begin a relationship with the opposite sex? There seems no basis, no commonality. It requires somebody to act in faith. That is, to reach out, make yourself a little vulnerable, reveal yourself a little, begin to share yourself just enough to begin the relationship. And that first encounter, so tenuous, so fragile, so scary, so dangerous, you know, the weird alien might hurt you, might do something terrible to you. But if they prove trustworthy, if your vulnerability is respected and honored, if they show themselves to be a reliable presence in your life, to be faithful, not to hurt you, then the relationship can grow. That act of faith, that growing faith, is the relationship. If you betray the faith, if you hurt the person, the relationship is going to end. If you let them down, if you're unfaithful, you can't have a relationship. And so, if marriage is a picture of our relationship with God, what is it telling us about faith? It is saying that faith always comes first. That's how it begins. Faith is the beginning of trust, the beginning of vulnerability, the beginning of sharing. And just as in a marriage, as that relationship deepens and grows and you, you become one, the Bible says you become one flesh, you share everything, the same is true in our relationship with God. As we get closer... As the dialogue of faith grows, we reveal more of ourselves, and God reveals more of himself. We begin to share a life together. We begin to get to know each other better. We begin to see each other more clearly. That's what faith does. So let's apply that insight to this story. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. What is a miracle? A miracle is a glimpse of the future. It is the way things are meant to be. Jesus' miracles heal sick people, raises dead people. Where he is, they can't be there. There are no storms to hurt you. Jesus' miracles give us a glimpse of the future, what his kingdom is going to be like. It is the future breaking into the present, a glimpse of the king's kingdom. And so he's not doing this as an act of showmanship. He doesn't create disciples, followers, through his miracles. Notice, there's always faith first. He asked his disciples to follow him before he showed them any miracles, any power. The woman who suffered from bleeding, it was her faith that brought her to him. The religious leader whose daughter was ill and dying, 
he had enough faith to go to find Jesus and kneel at his feet and ask him. Faith, the relationship, is primary. And then the miracles are the revelation of who the person you have the relationship is really. Lord of all. The returned king. Creator of the universe. What does this mean? We should not expect to see miracles and wonders without a growing faith. If you have not experienced miracles and wonders in your life, then your relationship with God is just beginning. You haven't gone deep enough yet. There's not enough revelation yet. By the way, I'm pretty sure, I'm convinced in fact, that this is why we don't hear much about miracles and wonders in the West so much. Secular people either ignore reports of such things or don't see them at all. And Christians and Christian communities experience those miracles and wonders as intimacies with God. And you don't share intimacies with the general public. What would you think of a spouse that shared the intimacies of their marriage with everyone around? They are the revelation, the intimate, personal revelation of God's nature, of who he is. And where he is, there can't be sickness and death. There can't be suffering. And that's why the miracles happen. So what does that mean for this passage? Jesus is not there to create followers and believers through showmanship, through flashy miracles. Without faith, there is no point or meaning to miracles. They're just magic shows. And Jesus didn't come to share a magic show. He came to share a relationship with God. I think that's what this passage is showing us, and that's what Jesus wanted to show us. It is faith in him that is at issue. It is the relationship that matters. That's what he's showing us. Should you have a relationship with him? Can you trust him? You know, as a pastor, of course, I'm going to tell you, yes, Jesus is trustworthy. Get after it. Pray, worship. But it's a personal, intimate experience. It's a dialogue. It's an act of trust, an act of vulnerability, an act of belief, an act of faith. And so every one of us, at some point, needs to reach out in faith. It's not necessarily a purely rational decision. It is a leap. It is knowing just enough to say, God's worth my trust, and reaching out and seeing if it is true. By the way, if you have never done anything in your life that requires faith, i.e. every project, everything that you do, you do because you know that you can do it by yourself, that you have the skills and talents and resources, if everything that you've ever done is basically within the ballpark of what you know, it never is outside, never requires faith, then your faith will never grow because you're not acting out of faith. 
to grow in faith, you have to have faith in God, which means you have to depend on him. He has to demonstrate his faithfulness when you need him. And you will never need him unless you go to places where you can't get it done, where you don't know anymore, where you are the end of yourself. That's what faith is all about. Is Jesus worthy of our faith? In the book of Hebrews, we read this. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The cross is the central place that we see God's faithfulness. Why? Because that's where he shows the extremity to which he will go for us. Notice what it said. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame. What was the joy? The joy was for Jesus to have a relationship with us. For us, one day to be with him forever. For the relationship to grow for the rest of time. That's why he did it. And the cross demonstrates his commitment to you and to me. And when you see him on the cross, he's there for you. His presence there is the proof that he is faithful. Isaiah said this, This is what the Lord says, In the time of my favor I will answer you, and in the day of salvation I will help you. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Question. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I'm always haunted by this verse. We think about faith as what's good for us. We think about salvation. We think about spending eternity with God. But how often do we think about the cross to Jesus? I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. If the Bible is true, one day we will see Jesus face to face. And it will be an amazing, a wonderful, happy meeting. He will be filled with joy. He will be filled with love. He will smile at us. He will smile at me. And there we will be. But the wounds on him will be there also. After Jesus' resurrection, the, the wounds were not healed. The disciples could see them. Even his transformed, transfigured, glorified body bore those wounds. And they will be there when we see him in heaven. And I think what we will specifically see in that incredible moment are the wounds inflicted on him by us, personally. What it cost him to go to the cross to pay for my sin, not just everybody else's, that'll be there too. But I think we're going to see that. 
And in that moment of extraordinary joy, that extraordinary confrontation, that will be there. It will demonstrate the depths of his love for me and for you. And what will that be like? I'm sure we will weep. I'm sure I will weep. There will be joy. There'll be celebration. But there will also be those wounds. Proof that he loves you. Proof that he loves me. For all time. That's why we can trust him. That's the basis of our faith. Let's pray. Gracious Father, what a miracle that you care for us, that Jesus sees so much joy in relationship to us that he would go to the cross for us. Lord, we can scarcely fit that in our minds and our imagination. Help us, Lord, to think and pray about that. Help that to guide our relationship and our faith with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.